Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Tommy Butts, Extension Weed Scientist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And today I'm joined with Dr. Jeremy Ross, Extension Soybean Agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Yeah, thanks Tommy for letting me come and be on your podcast and talk a little bit about weed control. So today the two of us are going to discuss uh, basically soybean weed control recommendations and programs for 2021 and we'll hit on a few other topics such as recommended varieties, uh, the dicamba regulations for the year, and just some other useful tips along the way. Um, The first thing that I really wanted to hit on was uh, just a quick herbicide resistance reminder. Uh, You know, so Palmer amaranth is our number one weed across the state of Arkansas in our soybean production systems. Uh, And at this point in the state, we've confirmed resistance to seven different sites of action within pigweed. Um, So that's huge. That eliminates a lot of options in a lot of areas, and it's very challenging. So, you know, across the state, uh, glyphosate resistance is extremely common, along with ALS inhibitor resistance and group threes or the yellow herbicides. Um, HPPD inhibitor resistance or the bleaching herbicides is becoming much more common across the state uh, and distributed uh, across multiple counties. It's not just localized anymore, so that's much more common. Same goes for PPO inhibitor resistance. It's very widespread across our soybean growing region. Um, group 15 resistance, so things like um, acetochlor and asmatolachlor. Uh, is, is becoming more troublesome. We have, um, I can't remember exactly how many counties at this point we have confirmed resistance in, but it's definitely um, three or more, uh, and that continues to grow each year. Uh, and as well now with our latest confirmation of glufosinate-resistant pigweed in the state that was found in northeast Arkansas. Um, and now glufosinate resistance is, is pretty limited geographically so far, which is good news, but we need to be aware that if we continue to put you know, very heavy selection pressure on that too and not rely on some of our residual chemistries and other things uh, that, that we've already confirmed that resistant in the state as well, and that could be very troublesome for us. So just a few other, uh, you know, as far as herbicide resistance goes, Make sure to always visit our website for the latest up-to-date information at uh, www.uaex.uada.edu backslash weeds. And as, as well, for uh, more information, especially uh, you know nationwide, make sure to visit the Take Action website at iwilltakeaction.com backslash weeds. And there's a lot of good herbicide resistance information there uh, for multiple different weed species that covers uh, the entire U.S. For, for soybean production systems. So that's a good website to visit as well. So moving on from the herbicide resistance reminder, the first thing that I wanted to recommend as far as our, our herbicide programs for the year has to start off with our pre-emergence herbicides and residuals. Uh, Residuals are absolutely critical if we're gonna try and get uh, specifically pigweed under control, but also our grasses or any other problematic weeds that we have out there. They they do a wonder at eliminating those weeds before they even get out of the ground, and it saves a lot of selection pressure on the back end for our post herbicides. So we need to make sure that we get residuals out and we're timely with those residuals. Uh, as Dr. Tom Barber would always say, two is always better than one. And so we really need to be mixing multiple effective modes of action in the tank for our residuals. We can't just rely on a single side of action anymore. Um, having multiple in there will give us, uh, one, it gives us better control, and two, it also helps with our herbicide resistance management. 
Um, there are many good options pre, uh, you know, basically you need to find what fits for you, what's economical for you and, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what you feel comfortable applying. But the major thing is that we always like to say right now is metribuzin has to be absolutely critical in our residual pre-emergence herbicides. It's, uh, we have not confirmed uh, resistance to metribuzin yet within the state, and it just is an excellent take mix partner with multiple other residual products to give us pigweed control early, early in the season. So that becomes a really critical option. Um, and along that lines, uh, Jeremy wanted to mention a few things about the metribuzin screening that's conducted across all the varieties used in the state. So, Jeremy, you want to chat a little bit about that? Sure. So, years ago when uh, we were doing variety testing in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, a lot of the varieties we were showing, almost 99% of the varieties had resistance to metribuzin. So, we actually abandoned that testing uh, screening procedure uh, back in the, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, but mid-2000s, later t in the 2000s, um, you know, when Liberty Link varieties and some of the Roundup Ready to Yield varieties started coming on the uh, line, we, farmers and, and we, and us as a research ag ag agronomist started noticing that, you know, we were seeing some problems with metribuzin uh, in some cases. And so we brought that screening back and it's really been amazing with the new technologies and the new um, um, stack varieties on the differences in metribuzin tolerance. And so we do have uh, a screening process and every variety that's in the variety testing program every year is screened for metribuzin. Uh, we do a, a half a pound AI. Um, and so that's the full rate if you're looking at the label. And so we, we decided we wanted to go ahead and, and be pretty proactive and make sure that uh, we were testing the full rate when we were looking at these varieties. <clears throat> and so, uh, again, each variety that's in OVT is screened. Uh, we have it broken out into three different categories, a slight injury, moderate injury, and uh, severe injury. And it is surprising that every year we have a handful, anywhere from 10 to 12 varieties that we consider in that severe category. And so those those varieties do show pretty, you know, well, pretty much metribuzin is going to kill them no matter what the, the situation in the field. And so if you are looking at metribuzin uh, as a pre-plant option, definitely look at that uh, sheet uh, and that document to make sure you're looking at varieties that are tolerant to metribuzin. Perfect. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, like we mentioned, you know, if we, make sure to pick those varieties that are metribuzin tolerant if you can, because that is our a, a foundational herbicide in all of our pre-residual uh, program should be metribuzin tank mixed with with that second side of action, you know, of your choosing. Um, so a few good options that we've tested the past few years in small plot research has included. Um, Fierce MTZ, so that's a three-way mix of, of Valor, Zidua, and Metribuzin. Um, you've got Trivents, which is a great uh, three-way uh, mix, and I like to add in Zidua into that to have the group 15 in there. Uh, and Boundary has also been one of our cleanest options continually every year in small plot research where we have uh, Metribuzin plus dual Magnum. So, Tommy, I just you know want to make sure that everybody knows uh, most of those products has a, a lower rate than the full rate. Of metribuzin so we do recommend spiking that a little bit don't we on that 
the make make sure you got a full rate of metribuzin in those products. Give or take, it depends a little bit on your soil area and things like that. But yeah, if if, if especially some of those products, you know, the the rate of metribuzin is a little bit different on each one of those. So always kind of double check um, what those those specific rates are in each one of those products. And like Jeremy said, if you're not up to that full rate, you know, if you can spike in a little bit more metribuzin, that's always a good idea as well. So so I got another question. So we've been looking at metribuzin and using metribuzin for the last several years. Uh, we've seen resistance issues with PPOs. Now we're starting to see it with uh, Liberty or glufosinate. What's the the likelihood of us seeing some issues with metribuzin since we've been relying on this particular herbicide for several years and been recommending it, you know, for several years. So that's a great question, Jeremy. And uh, what I would say is, you know, there's never a zero chance. There's always a likelihood that resistance is going to develop with any of our herbicides we use, especially ones that we, we use a lot and recommend a lot. The thing that helps Metribuzin out a lot as far as not, you know, evolving resistance quickly is that we never recommend it alone for pigweed. It's always mixed with something else. That's where we get our better control from. So again, two is always better than one. So that helps delay the evolution of resistance on that. Um, also, and this is, it's, it's a little bit of the fact that we just don't necessarily see it right away, but when we're strictly looking at a residual product, you know, pre-emergence, we tend not to see resistance evolve as quick because basically instead of seeing survivors like when we apply a post product instead what you see is well our residual activity doesn't make it three weeks anymore it only makes it two weeks or you know one week that kind of thing so it's a uh, normally with residual pre-emergence products we're a little behind the ball too honestly just because it's not as noticeable as a post resistance but uh but in general like i said i think metribuzin we at least have a little bit more leeway because we never really rely on it by itself. So that helps delay that evolution of resistance quite a bit. So good question. Um, so moving on, I mean, like I said, residuals, basically you can pick different residuals that fit your needs for your areas and maybe some of your other weed spectrums you have out there as well. Our big recommendation is to have metribuzin in there somewhere and, and always use more than just one effective mode of action. So that's the big thing from the residual standpoint. Uh, next, we kind of wanted to move into some recommendations for specific uh, technologies. Um, and so the first one that we're going to start off with are the dicamba technologies, so extend and extend flex recommendations. Um, Jeremy, you want to hit on some varieties before I kind of get into our weed control recommendations? Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to probably talk about just individual varieties, but kind of the trend we've seen with the extend and extend flex uh, varieties into OVT over the last several years. So. If you look at the data from 2020, uh, um, a large majority of the varieties entered, about 60% of the varieties entered into OVT in 2020 were Extend varieties. If you're looking for Extend Flex variety information, uh, because they were still regulated early in 2020 uh, around the planting season, uh, we didn't have any Extend Flex varieties in our uh, variety testing this year. Uh, but I'm I'm uh, guessing we'll probably have a number of those varieties in the test and for 2021. But the extend varieties have looked really good the last several years. Um, they have uh, been comparable to some of the other technologies, but uh, individual varieties have looked really good in all locations across the state. Um, so just you know, if you're looking still looking for varieties, hopefully most everybody has selected their varieties by this point. 
but if you are still looking for some varieties, you know, you can look at our information to try to, to narrow down some of those things you're looking for in, in varieties, you know, particular characteristics. But, um, you know, a lot of companies are still kind of back in the extend varieties, and I'm assuming that they'll, they'll stay, you know, a big portion of our varieties we're testing in, in, in the next several years. Perfect. Um, so the first thing I wanted to mention on the extend, extend flex, extend flex front are the dicamba rules for Arkansas for this year. So, uh, you know, you may have heard that the Arkansas state plant board recently, um, voted to basically re-go over the rulemaking process and potentially change the dicamba rules back to the federal label for the state. So it's currently in an open comment period is where we're at right now on that regulation. And so the open comment period is open for another week or a couple weeks, I guess, somewhere in there. And then once that open comment period is ended, the board will uh, meet to listen to comments uh, publicly and then vote on whether to revert back to the federal label or keep the current Arkansas state regulations for dicamba. So we're kind of in a limbo right now is where we're at as far as this goes. Uh, why we're in this limbo phase, the current rules still apply. So I want to emphasize that. So as of right now, even though this vote is going on and there's potential change to back to the federal label, currently the way it stands is we still have to operate under the, the rules that were previously passed. So that what that means is we still have the May 25th cutoff. We still have no tank mixing glyphosate. Uh, we still have the, the buffer zone requirements. All those kinds of things are still in play until the vote from the plant board would come down to go back to a federal label and then it has to revert back to the legislative group within the Arkansas government that they put their stamp of approval on it as well. So this could be a little bit of a delayed reaction until we get that final ruling if they are to switch to a federal label. So basically I say all of that just to stress that as of right now we have to continue operating under the, the current rules. So just make sure you understand that. Because of right now we've only got about six weeks. To, to use the dicamba over the top. That's exactly the, right. It's on. It's on. Honestly, almost five weeks. We're at the thirteenth already. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So so just be aware of that. At this point, that's the case. Um, also, you know, let's say the May twenty fifth cutoff passes and they have not gotten these rules officially through the whole channel yet. That cutoff will apply. And then let's say June fourteenth, June fifteenth, somewhere in the middle of June, that it, it, it all of a sudden completely gets passed, the federal label is now the rule, it's through our legislative government, then it would reopen and we'd have about two weeks for soybeans to be able to apply dicamba over the top. So like I mentioned, right now we have to continue operating as if we are under the current rules. If, if they were to uh, vote and change to the federal label, at that point, whenever that vote is officially conducted and it goes through the legislative group and everything else, then it would finally open back up. So it might be delayed and it might not happen at all this year. It may hit the federal label June 30th cutoff before that would even occur. So basically just be aware of that and be prepared that even this year that it, there may not be a chance that, that dicamba can be applied over the top, even according to federal label. But for the state specific regulations on dicamba, they're exactly the same as 2020. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, as of right just, now, it's exactly the same. There were some minor changes in the federal label with buffers and things, yeah. but if... The, the only difference between 2020 and 2021 is actually from the federal label is that you have to add in the, the volatility reducing agent, the VRA. So right. 
um, centrist or vapor grip extra. But yeah, otherwise, all the other same rules still apply. Yeah, I've had a few people ask about that and wanted to know currently what the regulations were. And I keep on telling them it's it's whatever was decided on last last year. So that's right. So based on that, we're going to kind of move forward as if our, our regulations are, you know, staying the same as far as our recommendations in this podcast. And so what I would tell you is, you know, we want to apply dicamba early um, again. So hopefully we get one application in before temperatures get too high so that we can use that technology in those soybeans, that kind of thing. We want to be able to apply it early. And, and the plus side to applying it early as well is we can take advantage of the residual activity that dicamba provides. Um, now, it doesn't have you know an excellent residual activity by any means, but it's really great at mitigating some uh, uh, moisture risks. And by that, I mean if we apply dicamba early in our pre-emergence mix with our other residual herbicides that we're already uh, planning on applying, if we don't get rainfall right away to activate our other pre-emergence herbicides, dicamba acts, uh, it kicks in and basically gives us residual activity initially when there is no moisture there. Then once moisture happens, if we get that half inch of rainfall, it deactivates the dicamba, but at the same time, it's activating the other pre-emergence herbicides that we had with it. And you just basically, it passes the torch onto those other pre-emergence herbicides. So it's a great option to basically be a risk mitigator if we're, we're concerned about moisture activating those pre-emergence herbicides. So I will say if we can apply it early, take advantage of that. It's a great, great uh, herbicide in, in that um, niche area right there. Now, when we talk about extend specifically soybeans, that can be really tough at the moment for post options because once the cutoff passes, if it remains at that May 25th date, the really only post option in extend beans is PPO inhibitors like Flexstar, Prefix, that kind of thing. And in a lot of our areas where we have PPO inhibitor resistance, that's just not going to uh, help us out very well. And so it gets very challenging. You really need to rely on overlapping your residuals and being very timely with those applications to make sure no pigweeds ever get out of the ground because otherwise you just don't have any post options. In Extend Flex, now we do have a few more options in that area if, if the cutoff pass, if the cutoff passes because we can apply glufosinate over the top of Extend Flex soybeans. And so having that liberty is a, is a great option post then. Um, we've also shown in, in some of our research, a graduate student under Dr. Norsworthy has shown that his best weed control in the Extend Flex system came from where we were able to apply dicamba and then 14 days later apply a sequential application of liberty or glufosinate. So not doing sequential applications of dicamba or sequential applications of liberty, but actually being able to use the two sequentially provided the best weed control with a 14-day interval. Uh, and that 14-day interval was pretty critical. If it was any sooner, there was a loss in weed control. And if it was any later, there was a loss in weed control. So that 14 window, 14 to 21-day window is really where we can optimize our weed control and extend flex. So, you know, some of this uh, ex or Liberty Roundup tank mixes were done in some of the cotton back several years ago. And I've heard some... Uh, I guess com conflicting research, you know, so is it better to, to do the sequential applications and not look at a tank mix application? So, yes. So for two reasons. Uh, one, the Liberty and, and Dicamba is actually an illegal tank mix. It can't be applied together. So, uh, so one, we can't mix those together in the tank mix to be on label. 
Um, and right now, according to our Arkansas rules, we can't mix Roundup with dicamba either. That's an illegal tank mix as well. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect is, is yes, there's just been a, a reduction in weed control when the tank mix occurs. Uh, again, Dr. Norsworthy's student that looked at this had a tank mix in there just for research purposes, and it was a drastic reduction in weed control compared to the sequentials. Uh, we're talking 20, 30 percent. Um, so the sequential applications from both standpoints, one, it, it allows us to be on label, but two, it also gives us better weed control is really where we want to be at. Um, so that's a great question. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention on the extend and extend, extend flex route is currently the way the rule stands, you know, in the state of Arkansas is we can't tank mix glyphosate with dicamba for our applications. If, the, if the, the rules change in the state and federal label applies, technically speaking, then it would be a legal tank mix to mix Roundup in the tank with dicamba. However, from our university standpoint, we still will not, will not recommend that tank mix for a couple of different reasons. One, it's been shown to you know, increase the volatility potential of those applications and, and, and increase the risk for potential off-target movement. But uh, a, another large concern for me is that there has been a, shown a drastic reduction in Roundup's efficacy when tank mixed with dicamba. Dr. Larry Steckel has hit on this for the past couple years, illustrating the losses in weed control with that tank mixture. And it comes from a couple different standpoints. One, dicamba and Roundup uh, antagonize each other. And so that dicamba antagonizes that Roundup causing it to have less control on grasses out there. And secondly, because we're applying the dicamba, we have to use a very large droplet size producing nozzle like a TTI. And that droplet size is just way too massive for Roundup to stick to grasses. And so it ends up with a reduction just based on the application procedure. And so, uh, like I mentioned, Dr. Larry, some of Dr. Larry Steckel's research has shown you know, up to 30% reduction in weed control based on those two factors. And he's attributed that to an increase in glyphosate resistant grasses in the state of Tennessee. So just be aware of that from that standpoint, that is going to be uh, our quickest way to evolve metabolic resistance, uh, glyphosate resistance in our grasses here in Arkansas is by using that tank mix and basically losing our weed control and giving grasses you know, light doses of glyphosate. That's really what's gonna happen. You think Dr. Steckel's going to talk about this in the next podcast? Yeah, so actually, uh, <laughs> Jeremy's hinting at uh, our super secret uh, that we have, our super secret meeting that we're going to have next week. Dr. Larry Steckel's actually going to join uh, Tom Barber for next week's podcast. And uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that he will mention some of this on the cotton side as well, some of these tank mix problematic uh, issues that they've seen over there in Tennessee. So, uh, like I mentioned, this is this has been a thing that he's been investigating the last couple of years in Tennessee. We've seen it here as well, just uh, in some some random small plot research we've done. And so, it just really will not be a recommended mix, even if it is approved according to federal label. Yeah, and always kind of look out for Tennessee because it always seems like some of the problems come <laughs> from Western Tennessee into Eastern Arkansas. If we look at the mare's tail problem and Actually, the glyphosate uh, pigweed issue, it, it jumped the river. Some and of the Johnson so, grass issues yep. as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to what ha is happening in western Tennessee because eventually it's going to jump the river and it's going to be, you know, in the eastern side of the mm -hmm. state. 
So that's really the extend, extend, flex recommendations that we wanted to hit on uh, for this upcoming year. Um, jumping from that into Enlist E3 soybean recommendations. So Enlist recommendations or Enlist soybean is tolerant or resistant to uh, glufosinate, glyphosate, and 2,4-D choline. Uh, and I'll hand it over to Jeremy quick to kind of hit on a few variety aspects here of, of Enlist. Sure. So um, last two years we've actually had a few more enlist varieties they were a little bit slow getting entered to the to the ovt for testing but this year this past year we had about 35 individual varieties that were tested and i'm assuming that we'll probably see a few more in 2021 i haven't seen that final list yet but you know i'm hearing from especially the midwest there's going to be a push to kind of look at enlist varieties and increase that acreage so it wouldn't surprise me if we see a you know an increase in that number of varieties uh, in the OVT, but uh, just you know if you are interested in that, I mean I, I until I guess the Extend Flex varieties came online, I was really uh, liking this system because you had the the, the two you know glyphosate and glufosinate options, uh, but now that we got Enlist uh, or Extend Flex. You know, we kind of got that option. So I'm really encouraged that, uh, you know, these multiple stack varieties we're seeing more and more. And, and it's just going to get more confusing down the line as we start seeing more and more uh, new, hopefully new technologies uh, in the future. Uh, but also we're seeing more and more of these stack varieties. And so, uh, again, you know, information on the website and on the blog if you're looking uh, for information on these varieties. Jeremy, could you just quick hit on... Um basically the yield potential that you've seen in the OVT program the last couple of years with Enlist versus Extend. I know you haven't been able to, to test Extend Flex, but at least between Extend and Enlist and maybe other Liberty Link varieties, just, just hit on that real quick. Yeah, so, you know, this really started back when Liberty were first introduced uh, several years ago. Uh, you know, there's, there's always been that talk that, you know, there's been some yield drag, especially with some of these new varieties or new technologies coming out. Uh, we've seen it, you know, with some of the, the older technologies, there definitely was a yield drag. And so every year I kind of look at all the varieties within a particular herbicide group and compare them. Um, I've worked with some of the statisticians on Fayetteville looking at this, you know, so we do have some statistics backing this up. And so if you, if you look at, you know, any year to year, you know, if you look at the varieties within the herbicide technologies as a whole, we're really not seeing any particular herbicide technology out yielding or outperforming, you know, as a whole, if you're looking at technologies. Now, that's not to say, you know, I can look at individual varieties and, you know, I can name off, you know, enlist varieties that look really good, extend varieties that look really good, conventional varieties. We've got some conventional varieties that, that perform very well. And so, you know, I'm, I've been, you know, kind of hearing, producers saying, well, I just can't, you know, produce certain herbicide technologies on my farm. And, you know, you know, I don't know if it's an individual variety, just a, you know, variety selection issue or, you know, a particular problem with individual varieties and certain, you know, disease packages and things like that. But, you know, as a whole, we're just not seeing um, any differences as in the technologies, you know, when we're looking at yield. But, again, going back, we do see individual varieties. And, and, and that's, you know, that's to be expected. Uh, we're looking at different backgrounds on some of these new technologies that are coming out of different programs. And so, um, 
but you know overall just about every company has at least one or two varieties within each of the technologies if they have all the technologies that, that perform very well so we've got some really good varieties out there to choose from and pretty much all the different technologies that we currently have awesome thank you jeremy um, as far as our weed control recommendations and enlist go um, and I should have mentioned with Extend and Extend Flex, but the residual programs across these technologies should not really change too much. Like I mentioned, what, whatever technology you choose, your residual program can follow with. Uh, the biggest thing is you know, finding that metribuse intolerant variety within our herbicide trait technologies. But other than that, uh, you, know, you, can, you can use just about any of those different pre-emergence residual products across the board. So just be aware of that. Um, within list, what we recommend from the post side of things is uh, really we expect to have you know for sure two post-emergence applications after our initial pre-emergence residual application. In that first post, what I really like to recommend is doing a tank mix of enlist one plus roundup plus a group 15 residual. So whether that's dual, zidua, outlook, you know, any of those, a warrant, you know, mixing those three together are, are are the best possible first post I think you can have. The Roundup helps take care of grasses. The Enlist helps to um, either kill pigweed or at least you know really knock it back for a while. And then you've got the Group 15 residual to help both with grasses and pigweeds um, from a residual pre-emergent standpoint um, to overlap those residuals. So that's what I like to recommend from the first post standpoint. Uh, the second post then typically you want to come back 14 to 21 days after that application and I like to rec recommend the tank mix here of Enlist 1 plus Liberty. Um, so then there with that application you're hopefully taking care of any more emerged pigweeds that have come out or if, if any pigweeds happen to survive the Enlist 1 application in the first post now you're, you're finishing them off with that second post. Um, and it, so it should that should be getting you to canopy closure at that point. Uh, and you shouldn't have to worry about any more flushes. So that's really the best option we've seen in multiple research uh, areas is where we can do that. Um, sequential post applications and those tank mixes have really proven to be the best uh, weed control in the Enlist system. Um, also, we like to recommend in that second post that tank mix of Enlist 1 and Liberty because that tank mix has shown to mitigate risk of other factors. So in, in one of the research projects I did last year, I did a nozzle evaluation uh, with the Enlist system and not that I would ever recommend the TTI nozzle for the Enlist system, it's just a really large droplet size for those herbicides, but the tank mix proved to give us better weed control even in suboptimal conditions, so where we chose the wrong nozzle compared to Enlist 1 and Liberty by itself. So like I mentioned, that tank mix just helps mitigate some risk if we have other things go wrong, we can still really achieve great weed control in that last post application with that mix. Um, overall, that you know, those are the, the like I said, our best recommendations to take care of grasses, take care of pigweed, and, and hopefully catch some of those other random weed species out there that we might see as well uh, in that enlist system. So, so moving forward, that's what our recommendation is there. Um, outside of enlist, I did just want to hit on a few other problematic weeds I've gotten some calls on in our soybean production systems the past couple of years. Uh, Cucklebur seems to be making an actual uh, a little bit of a comeback. From a pre-emergence standpoint, our ALS inhibitors tend to do, uh, still do a good job across the majority of the state. So things like Scepter, Canopy, uh, Python, those kinds of things. Valor, you know, pre-emergence is also pretty good for Cucklebur. 
Uh, post, if we can use glyphosate or glufosinate and especially sequential applications of those two, they really do a great job at cleaning cucklebur up as well. Sicklepod has been popping up in more places again as well. Uh, similar to Cucklebur, you know, ALS inhibitors do a very good job there. PPO inhibitors like um, Valor or Verdict do, do a pretty good job on Sicklepod as well. And if we're going the post route, we really almost need sequential applications of glyphosate or glufosinate to control Sicklepod. You know, just a single application of Roundup or a single application of Liberty probably won't take that sickle pot out. You'll have to have uh, sequential applications of it. Um, prickly cida or teaweed is another problematic weed that's been popping up, especially in the extend system because dicamba just isn't really good on uh, prickly cida. And so it's been popping up in some of those acres more and more. Um, ALS inhibitors, again, tend to be really good on it. First rate, canopy, classic, those kinds of things tend to really do well from a residual standpoint and from a post standpoint, Python as well. Um, post, Basagran actually does a pretty good job on teaweed and then sequential applications of glyphosate or glufosinate again. Um, and if you happen to be in the Enlist system, 2,4-D or the Enlist 1 is actually pretty good on prickly cider too. That's why we don't see it as much in those acres. It's really dedicated more to our extend acres where it's a big problem. And then finally, yellow nut sedge continues to grow and grow in our soybean acres too and is extremely challenging because we just really don't have any good options in soybean to try and manage yellow nutsedge successfully. Um, the best thing I can tell you for that is hopefully find a variety that's STS or Bolt so that it has that ALS tolerance in it. Um, and then dual magnum is a good pre-emergence option to try and reduce some of the, the you know, yellow nutsedge that actually emerges. But then if you have the STS or Bolt soybean, anything that does emerge, you can hit it with, uh, with glyphosate or Roundup plus Permit Plus. Uh, and that will hopefully help you know take out some of the that yellow nut sedge and and it really is your best option for for managing that if you have a, a heavy infestation anywhere. Um, Jeremy, as far as the STS bolt soybean goes, I mean, do you have anything to add on that or the the availability of those kinds of varieties? Anything along those lines? Yeah, we do. So you know, we that information comes from the individual companies, and so we put that into the the soybean update every year. And so we've got varieties listed, you know, is either having STS or Bolt. But um, some of the companies have been a little bit slow on introducing that particular uh, trait in some of the beans. I've really been pushing the breeders to make sure, especially in the mid, mid-south, mid especially where we're kind of around rice, you know, production. You know, that gives us a little bit of protection uh, on some of the rice herbicides, but also if we're getting to some of these situations, like Tommy said, with the nut sedges, I mean, you know, if you don't have STS or bolt beans out there, the nut sedge can get pretty hairy, you know, during the season. And so uh, I've really been pushing some of the, the companies to, to try to get some of these varieties that have more of these tolerances in the, in the packages, but we've got a pretty good selection of some of the really good varieties, you know, with that particular technology. So awesome. Uh, well with that, um, you know, if you ever have uh, other weeds that pop up that you that you're struggling with, or you need more information on anything, you know, please check out our MP44 recommended chemicals for weed and brush control, or feel free to give Jeremy or I a call at any point uh, and ask us some questions. We're always available. Um, I also did want to hint at our uh, sports campaign. Again, remember to use that uh, uh, mnemonic device to help you with your weed control recommendations moving forward. So, you know, sports, start clean, use pre-emergence herbicides, uh, overlap those residuals, 
uh, R required integrated weed management tactics. So start integrating things like narrow row widths if you can, uh, you know, harvest weed seed destruction, any of those kinds of things. Um, timely, T is timely, make sure we're getting those, both our residual applications and our post applications in a timely fashion. And then finally, the, the last S is selection. So select appropriate herbicides and multiple effective herbicides to, to really tackle our weed problems that we have out in that field. So remember sports, remember those uh, um, six things, and that'll really help you out a lot and is your uh, weed control strategies moving forward. Um, so I'd just like to thank you for joining us this week for uh, this Weeds Are Wild podcast. Jeremy, you got any concluding statements you want nope. to make? Appreciate the opportunity to come uh, participate in this uh, podcast. Awesome. Well, uh, please join us next week. Um, Dr. Tom Barber will be discussing cotton weed control programs. And like we mentioned before, he's going to have a special guest, Dr. Larry Steckel from the University of Tennessee on as well. Uh, and with that, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.edu.